Hey there, mucho gusto, and welcome to another episode of Detective Writer. I'm your host, Sally, aka Detective Writer, and today I am super duper excited to introduce all of you to a brand new guest, fellow author Kim Curry. Kim, thank you so much for being here. I'm super excited and super honored. Buenos días, mi amiga. Thank you. Oh, you speak Spanish. That's amazing. Well, I, I speak muy poquito because my, my wife is Cuban, so uh, and, and, and we've been married for 23 years. And I was in Miami from like 1976 until I retired. So when you're in Miami, you have to kind of learn how to speak Spanglish or you can't survive. So that's yeah. the extent of my Spanish language. Well, no worries. We're feel free to learn and everything at your own pace. No problem with that. Thank you. Thanks, Sally. I appreciate it. Of course. Nice. So if you don't mind me asking, Kim, I would love to ask you, what was your biggest motivation to begin writing? Like, what was your biggest inspiration to become an author? I'm a late author, a late bloomer as far as a writer. I spent 33 years on the radio in America in little towns and big towns. I was in Pueblo, Colorado, in Knoxville, Tennessee, San Antonio, Texas, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., but... I was uh, 25 years of 33 years of my career, I was in Miami, Florida. Um, it was, I was the youngest guy when I got there. So I, that hence the name Kid Curry is what they used to call me. Um, and then by the time I was later in my life, in my career, I was the oldest guy there in Miami. I had gone through what they call top 40 radio or current music radio all the way back to the days of the Beatles and and Casey and the Sunshine Band and you know Creedence Clearwater Revival and, and Aretha Franklin. And later in life, uh, the hit music I was playing was Tupac and Big Daddy, I mean, uh, Big Papa. And, uh, and so I, I, I come from a long line of current music. And so after 33 years of being on the radio, the youngest guy, uh, the last nine years of my career, I was the program director of what was the most listened to radio station in Miami, Florida, Power 96. Um, it was a great time for us. While I was the program director, we had the highest ratings in the history of the station. But th through the 33 years of my radio career, Sally, things were happening to me that that I just blew off. I, I Sometimes my arm would curl up. And I would think, well, I've been bit by a killer bee, or uh, I got attacked one time by fire ants, I thought, because I couldn't feel my legs. I thought I got, my legs had gotten numb. Oh, wow. Uh, when I turned 50, uh, the ninth year of being program director of Power 96, uh, all of these symptoms that were happening to me throughout my life culminated in one year of none of them went away. And it alarmed my mom. <laughs> it alarmed my wife. I can imagine. Uh, and I, it, it was it was scary to me. I mean, I in, in fact, the, the joke was is in my office. I couldn't walk straight. I had to bounce off the walls to walk straight down the hallways. And after that went on for about three or four months, uh, my wife got me into the doctor, and another three months went by, and uh, they diagnosed me with multiple sclerosis. Um, and it was coming on pretty strong. As I said, I couldn't walk. I was losing vision in my right eye, uh, my shoulder, my arms, uh, my fingers would curl up. And it was pretty desperate. So it forced me out of my radio career, uh, the career that my father got me started in when I was 17 years old. 
Um, so I, I, the only thing I could think to do, my wife considers this to be our snow globe moment. Life was going along like everything is fine. Then all of a sudden somebody shook the snow globe and no job. Where are we going to go? What are we going to do about your medical situation? What's going to happen to us? And the only thing I could think to do was to to come back to my home, my home state, Colorado, uh, and come back to my hometown, which is Canyon City, Colorado, a very small town in the in the south southern part of the state. Uh, my mom was still there. I had high school friends that were still in town. So I knew if I needed some help and assistance, I could get that help from my friends. And my mom was there. And my father had passed. But so my wife and I, we packed up the kids and we traveled out to Colorado and and uh, took all our money out uh, and, and just started started flipping houses. And and uh, through that process, my wife then got her real estate license because she didn't like the way the real estate people were treating her. So she got her real estate license. So suddenly we went from not having a career, not having anything going on, uh, to my wife being able to take over and and become the star of the show and 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 become the primary breadwinner for eight years my condition i went from walking bouncing on the walls to a cane to crutches and then into a wheelchair within three years of this eight year span i learned a lot about myself at that point um this kid curry guy we talk about in all those little towns that I was in, uh, it was a pretty famous radio show. Uh, everybody always wanted to be Kid Curry's friend. And the last nine years of my career, I was running the biggest radio station in Miami, Florida. So you can imagine that everybody wanted to be next to Kid Curry. Uh, all the, you know, I mean, the music the music industry was all over my radio station. I was going to the Grammys every year. My wife and I, she was my date at the Grammys every year. And so I was living a pretty big life. But suddenly all that came to a screech screeching halt because nobody wants to be next to the guy in crutches or to the guy in the wheelchair. And it affected me uh, mentally for a while. Um, but what was more of a problem for me was my declining condition uh they they had to calm my brain down it was on fire what happens is you get lesions in your brain and the myelin which is the substance that surrounds your nerve endings begins to deteriorate and so all these things were happening they were giving me uh, uh injections infusions steroid treatments to slow my brain down and this went on for eight years they got me on a drug called copaxone and i had to take that shot every day uh, and I did for three or four years. We were in my hometown and, and there was a friend of mine from high school who was a nurse and we got our, we got the drugs, the, the injection I had to start taking. And I had to call a friend of mine from high school to come over and show my wife how to give me my shot. And my wife has given me my shot every day since I started these medicine treatments in about 2007 or so. Um, so after eight years of the decline, really being concerned that I wasn't going to be able to survive this, my doctor decided to change my medicine. Uh, he, that when I first got diagnosed, there were three or four medicines that could help multiple sclerosis patients. By the time I'm into my eighth year, now there's five or six medicines. And my doctor wanted me to get off one because Copaxin wasn't doing anything to slow down the progression. She, he changed me over to another drug. Uh, it's called Rebif. 
I may have that backwards. Do I have that backwards? I do have that backwards. It was read this at the beginning. I'm now on Copaxone. I'm sorry. I need to get that straight. No problem. Uh, so, so my doctor changed the medicine. And at the same time he changed my medicine, he encouraged me to take large doses of vitamin D. My doctor is a specialist in multiple sclerosis. I mean, reaching away here. Okay. He's got a book he's written. Uh, it's about uh, optimal health with multiple sclerosis. Uh, he is a genius. My wife found this doctor, Dr. Alan Bowling. Uh, it, when we moved here, she found him. And he is the foremost uh, predominant doctor of multiple sclerosis in our state. And he changed the medicine and told me I needed to stay, take, start taking large doses of vitamin D because my doctor was convinced that there's a combination between medicine and vitamin D, that the more you take vitamin D, the better the medicine goes into your system, whatever that is, whatever theory he had. Remember, I was a radio DJ and frankly, kind of a smart ass, okay? Uh, and so I used to put my mother on the radio all the time, big time radio station, I put my mother on, on the radio all the time. And she, she, she would have a cold and she'd tell me, make sure you take your vitamin C. I'd say, mother, vitamins do you no good, you're sick. So I've always had this thing in my head about vitamins. And when the doctor encouraged me to take vitamin D after this medicine change, I told him, that's crazy, vitamins don't do anything. So after six months of my medicine change and my wife harassing me, your doctor said, take vitamin D. Your doctor said, take vitamin D. I finally started taking the vitamin D. Now, I really didn't notice any change in my condition in the first six months of my, my medicine change. But six months after I started taking the vitamin D, I stopped hearing the fingernails going down the, the chalkboard. I stopped feeling like I was constantly tense. I stopped feeling like I was being attacked by my body. I stopped feeling that my brain was on fire. So somewhere along the line, this combination of things really stopped the progression of the multiple sclerosis. And since then, about 2013, 2014, I haven't gotten any better and I haven't gotten any worse. So now you've got to talk about a guy who a one personality. I worked really hard. It was tough to have a radio show four hours every day, six days a week. Got to be prepared. That went on for 33 years. And then at the end of my career, not only was I in charge of my radio show, but I was in charge of the entire radio station and radio stations don't shut off. And this is in the days before corporate takeover, when you had 30 staff members as opposed to one staff or two staff members like they have now. It was not easy to do what I was doing. So I was a type A personality and I needed something to do. And now that my condition was leveling off, my wife and I are like, now what? Meanwhile, my wife's real estate career has taken off like crazy. And she's breaking all sorts of records here in the state of Colorado in real estate just because of her attitude the way she was. So all of this thing is going on in our lives. And around 2014, a very good, in fact, I think it was nine, was it nine years ago? Like now, was it? No, I don't know. But a very good friend of a very important guy in the music industry. His name was Vince Pellegrino. Well, Vince had this huge trade magazine that everybody in radio knew about, everybody in the music industry knew about. You know about Billboard magazine. That's that's the big music magazine that have all the big stars. 
Well, there are a bunch of bubbling stars underneath that need support. So Vince had a magazine called the Street Information Network. And Vince is the kind of guy who found Katy Perry. Uh, through all his and, and was the first to introduce me to Eminem when Eminem had just become a, a, a guy that anybody wanted to pay attention to. He was on the ground floor of many projects in the music industry. Well, Vince and I had a great relationship during my career. But when I disappeared out of the business, when I got diagnosed, I really disappeared. I didn't want to be bothered. Nobody called me. Uh, my friends kind of disappeared on me. Then suddenly I get a call in 2014 from my friend Vince, and he's like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, Vince, how are you? He says, well, see, every year he had a big a celebration, an awards party that he had, that he gave out awards to the music industry guys, the record promoters. You always you know about all the big stars, but those big stars wouldn't be big stars had these promoters gotten these songs on the radio. So he gave out awards every year. It was a big, big deal. Happened every year in New York City. And he would give out awards to the promoters who had the biggest success, the biggest Taylor Swift guys. You know, back then it was still the Puff Daddy guys. And so it was it was all pretty big. So he's got this big awards ceremony. And he said that he wanted me to show up that year. He was going to fly me and my family out because he wanted to give me a Lifetime Achievement Award. This Kid Curry guy we talk about was a pretty important guy in the radio business at one time. And I had a lot of the great success. And then I disappeared. And then this friend wanted to say, hey, you know, what's going on with you? And I got to sit down with Vince and tell him what was happening to me. And then he told me what was happening to him. Well, Vince, the morning after the, cel the, cer the celebration, I mean, there's all these record promoting people out there. They put me on stage and there's 30 years of my career flashed in front of me. People I hadn't seen for guys I'd fired, guys I'd hired. And it was huge. And there was all these people applauding. My little seven or eight year old daughter couldn't believe people were acting like, this is my dad. <laughs> <laughs> They're all going, where have you been? We've missed you. But she had no clue. So it was a big deal. And then the next morning, Vince told me that, that he was sick and that he wasn't going to be here much longer. And that affected me. It really affected me. I was, I was, I, in fact, I almost offered to, I did, I offered to take over his, his magazine. If he wanted to keep it going, I keep his legacy going because he was that important to the industry. And I asked him if his family was going to keep it going. And he said, no, that they were going to go ahead and just end it here. And I respected that. But through all of that came this thing where it got in me that I wanted to tell this story. I wanted to tell the story of Kid Curry, uh, the radio career where, you know, I, I was on stage with Frank Stallone, uh, Sylvester Stallone's brother at a big walkathon. Leif Garrett, the big teen star from the 70s, was a close friend of mine. Casey and the Sunshine Band hung out at our radio station all the time in Miami because Casey and my boss, Bill Tanner, were best friends. Uh, there were all these great things. My daughter, my, my youngest, my oldest daughter farted in front of Gloria Stefan. Farted yeah. right at her because it was just, I'm going to quick tell that story if you don't mind. No problem. Actually, no, it's in my memoir. You can go read it in the memoir. <laughs> okay, that's so, funny. Okay. So that's what I mean. So I wanted to tell things and I wanted to tell the story of, of, this, of the career, of the diagnosis, and then the realization that it cost to be disabled in America. I was normal. I was fine. Suddenly I was in a wheelchair. Suddenly I had to figure out what it was like to get hand controls in my car 
so I could drive and go do things and try to try to have a life. I had to, it, you realize that when you've got a three-story home, I have to have a $40,000 piece of equipment to get me onto each level of the house. I get nothing for that. I have to pay for that out of my pocket. Now, there are now a few things that you can deduct, but it's really not fair. Um, But that's the way life is. So my wife, who has now taken over this this real estate thing, like I told you, she'd gone from being my date at the Grammys to starting a real estate agency. And then she broke all these records in the state of Colorado in her real estate company, KW. And then that got corporate attention which put her into a corporate position, which has eventually led to her becoming a CEO of a company out of Kansas. (laughs) She's in there right now running four or five different offices. And the truth is, had I not gotten multiple sclerosis, I would not be here. So it's a crazy thing that has happened. The MS is really kind of the best thing that ever happened to me. And the writing. Now, let me tell you how the writing came down. So I decided I wanted... If, uh, if you don't mind, Sally, I talk a lot. Can't you tell? I love it. Thank you so much. You have no idea. If, honestly, for anyone who's listening, I feel like there's a really good lesson to show that even through the worst of obstacles, anything is possible to be achieved. So please feel free. Well, it's an interesting story. And, and I think it could happen to anybody. Um, you know, so I, I ended up, you know, deciding to write the story. And I needed to have someone teach me how to write because I'm a great storyteller. I've, I'm a radio DJ, man. You can yeah. hear it. You're you're having fun. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a great storyteller, but I, you know, there's a big jump between ha 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 to ha 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 ha. <laughs> so I so I, I found the lady who who I, I got a hold of the Northern Colorado. That's where I'm at. Northern Colorado Writers Association. I got a hold of them and I told them my situation and I told them that, you know what, I'm kind of a big star. Uh, I want to tell my story. I need some help. And of course, the people in Colorado didn't really know who I was. So, (laughs) so she was like, okay, well, you know, I think the lady who used to run this organization, she, I think can maybe help you out. She'll teach you. So I got a hold of this lady, Carrie Flanagan. And and Carrie wouldn't even speak to me for the first six months. She said, you know, you're not, you're going to have to learn things before I can talk to you. And besides, I'm busy. I've got other projects going on. And she made me read Save the Hat, The Cat Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. What is that? Um, oh, no, it's the writing book. It didn't come to my head. Something about The Cat Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. But whatever. It's a, it's a I'm... I know it's around here somewhere. No problem. That's not the only, but she sent me on on a mission on how to write, on how to write stories. Uh, And so I had to read those stories. And then six months after I started that, she finally met with me. Uh, I I wrote for her for six months. uh, And then she kind of sent me in different directions. And then six months after I was speaking to her for the first time, she decided I could then begin to write the book. Uh, and then so she went with the memoir with me. She's read the whole thing. She worked on it. And then I continued writing uh, because I I was in this groove. And I've had this story in my head that that's funny that just sat there for so long. And I didn't really realize it was there until a particular incident happened. Now, 
I'm going to try to explain this, Sally. Try to keep up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no problem. No problem. In, in 1987, President Reagan vetoed the Fairness in Broadcasting Act. Inside that act was the Fairness Doctrine. The Fairness Doctrine required equal time for contrasting points of view. In other words, if you got on radio or television and said something that was a lie or disinformation, as a citizen, I had the right to go to that TV station and demand equal time to prove it was a lie. That was a law. Wow. Can you imagine? Social media would have a ball today with that. <laughs> Do you, can you imagine? And, and it's all because of that president made that decision. Now, people don't remember this. They have no clue. But I've written two books on it to try to get people to understand that there was a time in America where lying couldn't happen because when you lied, I can come say, hey, this person's a liar and here's why. When he rescinded this in 1987, what happened after 1987 when this happened? Who appeared on your radio dial? Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. Who appeared after that? All those other guys. A whole bunch of other people. Yeah. And because they can lie. And no one can stop them. Now, President Reagan said at the time he felt the law was antagonistic to the rights given in the First Amendment, the right of free speech. But what you did, Mr. President, is you took away my right of free speech to call a liar a liar because I've done research on this. He was also connected to the broadcasting industry. Remember, he was a DJ. Yeah. And he was in show business, a very failed monkey actor had to do a movie with a monkey and the monkey was a better actor. Oh, and, uh, and so he had connections with the broadcast industry and they had gotten to him at the time and told him that equal time was costing them money. Because when you've got some guy on, on saying spewing lies for five minutes and you've got to give up five more minutes, you're taking away my time. You're taking away my money. So they got to Reagan, I believe, and gave him this finagled idea that, you know, we got to stop this because it's taking away our money. And you can tell him it's antagonistic to the First Amendment. So I believe this was all concocted. But look where we are today because of it. Do you think Reagan would have appreciated all that's happened? I mean, he was a pretty nice guy. He was a pretty upstanding man. Although... If you look at it close enough, which I have, that's what this book is. The Death of Fairness is the story of what happened to a small town and its only radio station after Reagan rescinded the, the, the Fairness Doctrine in 1987. Now, the reason I told this story, because I, my dad got me into radio when I was 17. My dad was a news guy at the only radio station in my hometown. There was only one, one radio station. That's what everybody listened to. And my dad was the news guy there. And he came home one, one day and he said, listen, the general manager wants to know if you'll come up and, and babysit at the radio station. And I said, okay, because uh, that's how I was making my money. I was 17 years old. I was senior class president. I was drum major of the band. I made money by babysitting my parents' friends' kids. So I said, sure, I'll do that. So he had me go to the radio station. I thought I was going there to talk to the general manager about babysitting the kids. But he said, no, I need you to babysit the radio station on Sunday morning 
because on Sunday mornings, they played back all the recorded services from the churches in town the week before, and nobody wanted that thing to do. Nobody wanted to sit there and hear last week's church services. So they hired a young high school kid, and that was me. So that's, that's what got me started in radio. I go from there to Knoxville, to Miami, to San Antonio, to Washington, D.C., to Baltimore, back to Miami. So it was a big career, but that's where I got started. But now you got to imagine me coming home. I come home every year, visit my dad, and my dad, after 1987, starts saying, man, they fired Alma Drill. They fired Alma Drill, and they put this talk show on there. And this talk show was doing nothing but lying, and I hate it. And I go away and I come back a couple years later. My dad said, you know, they fired old Bill and they put that talk show, another talk show. Another, now they got two of these talk shows. And all they do is sit there and they spew these lies and people in this town are listening to it and it's affecting their minds. Yeah. This is real. This was happening, but it was happening to me and I didn't realize it, I, it was, it was in there, but I wasn't really paying attention. And then it happened again to where there was only one live radio show on this radio station, and it was the morning show. After that, it was all these concocted liars, all these people that you hear all across America, the Rush Limbaugh types, and it affected the town, and my dad hated it. So my dad stopped listening. Everybody he knew stopped listening. So what happened was was there was a drop-off of listenership, but there was this underlying grilling of these people who hated America. They hated the president. They hated Obama because they were listening to this radio station and it really affected my father. But my father stopped listening. So now my my dad passes away. I get diagnosed with MS and I move home. I come from this little town in Colorado called Canyon City, like I said. Now, if you Google Canyon City, it is the home of the second highest suspension bridge on the planet. It, until a couple of years ago, it was the highest suspension bridge on the planet. That means from where the bridge was to the bottom, it was the highest one. And it crosses the Arkansas River over a big canyon. Now, this has been a tourist trap since the 1800s when they built this bridge. It's got 100-year-old technology, and they've never changed it. It's always been there, and it works. They, they still drive trucks over it. It's amazing. But there was a fire. And the fire wiped out the entire thing. And the smoke from this place enveloped the town. And my mom calls me and she's going, what's going on? What is this smoke? Where is this coming from? She's leaving messages because I'm, I'm not home, leaving me messages. What's, what is this? What's happening? I keep tuning on the radio station, but all they have is these liars on there and they're not giving any local information. She called back. They're not doing anything on the radio station. All they're doing is this stupid talk show. Where is this smoke coming from? Am I in danger? Yeah. And so I went, wait a minute. That's the story. That's the story. You have now finished the story for me, Mom. There was a normal radio station with regular guys working there. And then Reagan rescinded the fairness doctrine. The science of radio changed where you could syndicate one guy on all these radio stations across America, and you had one radio station that played nothing but this negative stuff. People turned off, and then when it came time for them to do their job, as the radio station, you're supposed to serve the public interest. There's a fire. It's 10 miles away. It's enveloping the town. We need to let everybody know. No, it was more important for these people to play their stupid, lying talk shows and to me 
that was a story to be told. So I told the story, The Death of Fairness, and I sent it off to these people in Hollywood. <laughs> oh, wow, that's incredible. And I got a really good response back, but they said it needed to be a in more in-depth story, which led me into now my third book. This is Bonnie's Law, The Return to Fairness. This kind of, in, she is involved in the fire that attacks the town. And it tells her story from that fire on. But Bonnie is eidetic. They realize this as at the age of two, that everything Bonnie sees, Bonnie registers. Everything. And her Nana is the caretaker of the local library. So from the age of two through whatever, she grows up in the library and becomes the smartest, cutest, most wonderful little girl on the planet. And they love her in the town. They love her in the city. They ended up loving her in the state. They ended up loving her in the country. And during the last part of this, she files to become president of the United States so she can go back and bring back the fairness doctrine because America needs to stop the liars. That's where we are. That's absolutely <laughs> incredible. And to think about, you know, in so many aspects, you know, we, we can't always trust anything that we see on the internet, not everything that we see all over, but this is- But imagine, so again, just like I'm, I'm young enough, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm old enough to imagine what life could have been like had John Kennedy not been assassinated. I'm now old enough to think, man, what would life have been like had Reagan not done this? Where would we be? Would we be this divided? No. Would there be so much hatred? I have no idea, but that is definitely it was a president. It was it was the monkey president. <laughs> he did a movie with a monkey. I okay. can't believe and that. You can keep up on all this on krcurry.com. That's my website. I've got all the details on my books, and I've got some uh, podcasts like yours, which I will put up when it comes out. Yes, of course. And, and it's people gonna can come see out. it on my website, too. Perfect. This okay. episode is going to come out next Monday, but I truly can't thank you enough for being here, Kim. It's my God, I love, I, I would love you to come back. I've had a blast. Sally, you know, I, I, once I get started, sometimes I get real lost, but I did, I think I did pretty good today. You I think it was a pretty good story today. Amazing. Never doubt that. You did absolutely amazing. And you managed to make a career full of radio. Then you made a career of writing. You managed to take an, an a, what seemed like a very difficult situation and you were able to make lemon and lemonade, if that's the right saying. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I've, I've really, I've seen a lot of things. I've gone from pretty good to not good to back to being okay. But I'm not the only one. There's a whole bunch of people out there that could end up like me like that. You, you have to vote for your health care. The most important thing in your life is your health. Vote for your health care. Don't be distracted by an Espanol I get that. Thank you so much, Kim. I can't thank you again. And for those Thanks. of you who have been listening to this episode, I truly hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you all have a great day, morning, evening, afternoon, and night. Please stay tuned for next week.